With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode two of Talking Snooker. They've led us back, so we didn't do too much wrong on the first one, hopefully. <laughs> it's Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf here once again talking about the game we all love. And, well, what a UK championship we have to talk about. And we'll go straight into that in a couple of ticks. But uh, I would like to say, first of all, uh, to everyone, really, thanks so much for the kind words you said to us about the first episode. It really was a lovely morale boost and very much appreciated. And I can confirm, Phil, no money changed hands, did it? There were no, no bribes. It was, it was genuine compliments. No, not at all. Um, thank you for the introduction. Nice to be back. Um, yeah, that all came free of charge, which was brilliant. Um, yeah, thanks to everyone for listening and uh, the kind words. It was really great to hear. There's a long history of buying favours in the media, isn't it? But it's not going to happen on this show. De- definitely. No, uh, I, mean, I, I won't want to speak to you, but I can't afford it. So we'll, <laughs> we'll hope they can continue for free. Um, I must say also a special word for uh, David Hendon, Michael McMullen, who were very, very kind to mention this podcast on their brilliant uh, snooker scene podcast, which is absolutely essential listening for snooker fans. I'm sure, pretty much everyone that's listening to this will, will already be... Um, Big fans of that. I certainly don't miss it any week. And uh, it was very kind of them. Two absolutely brilliant uh, characters for the sport. Just love listening to them uh, talking about the game. And, yeah, it was such a nice thing, Phil, wasn't it, to hear from those two about that? Yeah, it was really kind, really generous of them. And uh, I think they're coming from the same place that we are, that we just like promoting the game and uh, add, adding as what we can to it. So, yeah, it's, there's no competition as such. It's just, you know, we're all pulling in the same direction, I think. Definitely, definitely. And the, and the sport comes first. And well, we certainly couldn't have had a much better advert for the game in many ways than, than a UK championship that ended like that. Now, I know we, we did speak about it about the halfway stage of the final, Phil, and we were saying, let's maybe do five or ten minutes on the final. I mean, we could do five hours on the final. We could certainly fill the podcast with it. I mean, it was, it was just the most, you know, crazy match, really. 
perhaps the first thing to say is, uh, you know, I think might have got a little bit lost in in the sheer drama of it. Well done to Neil Robertson. I mean, it, it's some achievement to to win three UK titles. And while we're handing out well dones, I know you're a humble chap, but what what a tipping masterstroke from you! You've you've um you you've gone for the winner there, and well, you've got a reputation to live up to now. We're going to expect the tournament winner every time. Well done to you. <laughs> Yeah, one from one. I might retire on that and leave it at hundred percent. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of science behind it. Obviously, a superb player. And I was going on the sort of he's due one basis in the majors. So, and he was in the end. Um, but yeah, he he was absolutely sensational throughout the tournament. Um, the, I mean, the final it was crazy as you said, but in 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 the way that it, it didn't really pan out as many people expected. The sort of the first session did. Uh, they knocked in three centuries by the end of the, the first eight frames. But then I don't think anyone was expecting a nearly, nearly one o'clock finish and all that thinking time. And um, that I think that was what stood out for me. It wasn't just the prolonged safety battles. It was how long they were spending thinking over shots, which is very unlike either of them. Um, but it all added to the drama. And yeah, very tense and nervy. And uh, yeah, we were talking about, I know you put it on Twitter, about how it's been a long time since we've had a really late one like that. But uh, you know, it's not people we're seeing the centuries knocked in all the time. That's a lot of fun, but it's it's good to throw with a match like that in the mix every so often. Yeah, I mean, even the close ones tend to be like ten o'clock, maybe between ten and half ten seems to be quite a standard one, even if it goes mm-hmm. to the decider, because these players are generally so quick. I mean, the closeness of it we expected, didn't we? And of course, you know, not only was it one frame in it, but there was never more than one frame in it. That was the remarkable thing and I think it was Steve Davis that said whoever was one frame ahead seemed to have some kind of you know force field around them that they couldn't (laughs) quite it seemed to sort of impede them a lot in the one in front just nobody could get that two frames ahead could they and yeah absolutely and there was there was no even any they never really felt like there was an obvious winner I think until the till Judd went nine um nine eight up was it Uh, he went in the 18th um, that's the first time I thought, right, Judd's got this now. And it was right until till that frame. Um, and then obviously that didn't happen. So that just shows how there was there was no point really where you thought, right, he's got this wrapped up now or it's swinging one way or the other even. It was so in the balance all the way through and right till the final think of the final frame. Yeah, and I think it's, as a general point, we'll have to say, no fans again, but how much is this sport made for television? I mean, having some uh, viewing figures come through today, more than a million people watching mm. the BBC after midnight. I mean, that that's that's magnificent for the sport. It really is. And I think two million w- watching the peak audience earlier in the evening. So, I mean, in a way, it's classic snooker. You can't really go to bed, can you? Because you just have to <laughs> see who's going to get over the line. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was getting texts from mates of mine who sort of have a vague interest in snooker but they wouldn't be watching it all the time and they were texting me at midnight saying I wish this end this, I wish it would end so I could go to bed but I'm, I'm glad it's it's on so I'm watching it so yeah I mean, it shows that's another thing about being on the BBC we said this before a lot of people who don't wouldn't normally be watching it were watching it and they were watching it right to the end um which uh, is testament to yeah the tension of it and the excitement of it I mean Probably the most famous quote to emerge straight away from it was Judd Trump saying, I, I bottled it. Uh, it <laughs> in the cold light of day, he kind of had a point by saying that, didn't he? I mean, bottled's a hard word, but 
clearly the pressure got to both of them, but let, let's not beat around the bush. I mean, you know, we, you could talk about individual shots forever, but I thought there were a couple of odd kind of choices. You were right to say at 9-8, it looked like being Judd's. He was 40-odd points up, and I thought he played a bit of an odd shot to go into the Reds there, and perhaps he didn't need to off the blue. But then credit to Neil, what, what a brown that was. I mean, that's one mm-hmm. of the, the great pressure balls to go to 9-9. And then we had the four minutes, didn't we, of, of Neil thinking the decider, does that pink go? We'll never know, <laughs> will we? It looked like it might have done, but, but, but yeah, I mean, it went to and fro all the way. But then the chance John had at the end... And, I had a quick look at it again a couple of hours ago. I thought I might have been a bit harsh, thinking Judd seemed to rush. But he did seem to go quick, quite quickly, the Brown in particular, uh, but mm-hmm. which wasn't an awful shot. He just should have been better on the blue than that. Potted a good blue. And then how many times do you think he'd have potted a pink, <laughs> Phil, even under oh, that yeah. kind of pressure? perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think if the if the bookmakers are offering odds on single shots, he'd be would he be fifty to one on to pop that, would he? Maybe even shorter than that. I think you would put you you wouldn't get much profit out of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're talking about if you're looking at a dictionary definition of bottling, and would he normally do something and he didn't because of the pressure, that that pink sort of was it. But yeah, I mean, it seems very harsh to label anyone as bottling anything when he's won nine frames in a major final, but. Um, yeah, I suppose if you on very specific shots like that, I guess it is. And by his obviously like extremely high standards, he, he never messes up chances like that normally. So I can see why he's sort of given himself that label, if anything. Uh, again, something that's not actually been talked about that much. Very good pink from Neil to, to, to win it. it was, that was no gimme. Yeah. That was no gimme. Yeah. Absolutely. He sort of took a while thinking about that one as well. And I was thinking, come on, mate, you are going to try and put it, so get on with it. But it was, <laughs> yeah, it was tricky. But yeah, I mean, the, the thinking time, you mentioned the four-minute frame. Um, I popped this on Twitter as well, actually, because it reminded me so much of a quote from Fergal O'Brien. I, I did a piece with him and Dave Gilbert about their longest ever frame. And this is a quote that Fergal said then when he was taking forever thinking about stuff. He said, um, I was totally mired in my own fear. Fear was my opponent. The fear of going back as a loser at 10-9. When you're fearful, you can just stand still and stop. And that's kind of what happened. And I felt that was just exactly what was happening to Robertson as well. He, he was spending minutes and minutes thinking about shots, which Henry said on the commentary as well, that looked quite obvious. And he ended up playing the first one that was the obvious one. But he was just, yeah, I mean, if he watched himself back, he would think, what am I doing? Like, it's obvious what I should be doing. But um, yeah, that's what it can do to you in the pressure. Did that get to Trump a bit? I mean, there was some suggestions at one time that his body language was suggesting that, you know, Neil was, was taking a long time. No suggestion that Neil was doing anything untoward. It was just the pressure and the, the sheer drama of the situation. But I felt Judd was making most of the running in that final frame and perhaps sometimes a bit of frustration there from him, perhaps. Yeah, I think I think it probably did. And as you say, it wasn't intended from Neil. I think Neil was probably winding himself up and that was inadvertently winding Trump up as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, in pressure situations like that, it's not going to take much to um, sort of wind you up, as I say, or knock you off balance a bit. And I, yeah, I imagine if Trump sat in his chair watching Neil take four minutes over a shot, it will have bothered him. Um, but yeah, as I say, it was, certainly wasn't intentionally and Robertson wasn't helping himself by doing that. Another thing, Steve Davis, I thought, made an interesting point saying that that simply wouldn't have happened with the crowd, that kind of match. It would never have got bogged down like that. I mean, I guess we'll never know. I mean, snooker history is littered with 
late night finishes over over many decades, not just years. But for these two types of players, it was unusual. And it, it probably did seem around about the 10 o'clock mark, and they had a particularly long frame at that stage, maybe the one that went 7-7, I think. And it did seem like a lot of, there wasn't a lot of energy about that room and that whole, you know, situation at that stage. And I guess that could have been a factor, couldn't it, the no fans? Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's really hard to say because it, it seemed to be like a, the overwhelming pressure of it that was making them play like that. And you would think that maybe fans would even make that even worse. Um, so it's just one of those things you can sort of like put um, put narratives on top of things and try to explain them. But yeah, maybe they did. I mean, they both look knackered at parts of that, which is understandable. Um, both played an awful lot of snooker recently. It was late finish. Um, and yeah, may, maybe um, a crowd being in there G and them up would have helped, especially the decider. I think they made the point on commentary. There would normally be the big roar beforehand, um, which doesn't usually go into an hour long frame. So yeah, I think maybe maybe they needed a bit of a pep up. A nice little bit, but very nerdy for me here. But I, th- I think it look, there's conflicting reports. I have to go back really and look at the exact clock, whether it was fifty four or fifty five past midnight. But I think oh oh fifty four was the exact time that Dot Ebden finished in oh six. So a nice sort of oh, wow. tie in there. I mean, it's we said it's unusual to go past midnight, and it is. I think a couple of quite reliable characters that really know their snooker said on Twitter they thought it might have been the UK final in 12 that was the last midnight finish. But getting mm. towards 1am is absolutely almost unheard of in modern times, isn't it? I mean, it's so yeah, sad. Uh, and, yeah, and if you'd have put, as much as we would have expected that match to go 10-8, 10-9, you know, those two knock in the big break so often that you wouldn't put any money on those two playing a, an epic final like that time-wise. Um, but yeah, as I say, it sort of, it makes... You've got to have variety, haven't you? If you have, if every game was just short and have a century every frame, then it would be boring. Um, so yeah, I think it just uh, variety is the spice of snooker. Exactly, and we, you know, you're so right there. I mean, yes, we love the bang, 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 brilliant centuries and great shot making of these, particularly these modern players. But those dramatic frames on the colours. I mean, uh, you know, I'm just a, basically a fan and a journalist, I guess, but. You know, I found the tension unbearable just watching on television. I mean, yeah, how, how much do you magnify that for what that room was like, and then what it was, what it was like for those two playing? It's yeah, just... I mean, there there is there is a horrible sort of uh, it's good TV watching someone struggle mental <laughs> struggle with the anguish of it. Really, you see it in a lot of individual sports, um, and it, it's entertainment. I'm sure they won't like you like us saying that, but yeah, watching people struggle with those kind of situations is is good telly. It is. I mean, the question, I guess, for Judd now is uh, how long does he take to get over that? I mean, I think Stephen Hendry said straight away it's going to leave scars. I mean, of course it is. But I don't know. I, I, these guys are so strong mentally. I, I've got half a temptation to say he'll, he'll win in a couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> because yeah. but who knows? I mean, yeah, some guys would take a long time over that. With Judd, I sort of think he's so strong it'll be quite quick. I mean, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, I don't expect him to have a massive dip. Um, what I mean, he could easily lose early here this week in, in the Scottish, and then people would jump on it and be saying, "Oh, it has affected him." But you know, he's yeah, he's not going to go missing for the half the half the rest of the season at all. I don't think. Um, 
it, it will be painful. He's, and Henry's right about the way it happened, and he'll remember that Miss Pink um, forever. That's gonna that's gonna stick with him. Um, but yeah, I think it probably is the right thing to do just to crack on and play um, this week. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it probably would be a surprise if he went and won it, um, just because of the he must be knackered more than anything. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's going to go missing for any length of time. I, I, he'll be winning a tournament in the next couple of months. And th- this might be a, a topic for a future uh, a pod. Uh, I, I've certainly made a few comments recently about the nature of who's a, who, and, who and who isn't a great in snooker. I like the multiple world title rule. That's one I've always stood by. But I, I accept there are, there are grey areas uh, with that. And Neil Robertson clearly comes into that camp. He's only won one world title. You know, I'm rather frustrated he doesn't do better at the Crucible. Mm-hmm. I'm only one hundredth as frustrated as he is, I'm sure, about that. He still won it once, of course, and that's still wonderful. But when you get to three UK titles now, he, he's as close to being a great as 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 perhaps... He would be under my rule of not winning multiple world titles if you get my drift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's certainly one of the top players of his generation. And he puts him in a special bracket winning three UKs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that Ding's done that as well and also not won the world title. It's not an unusual anomaly, that. Um, yeah, his record at the Crucible is really hard to explain. He's, he turns up every year as one of the three or four favourites and always someone that I fancy to do well. But... It's getting increasingly harder to back him in Sheffield when, you know, he keeps failing to get past the court final. Um, but he, he seems to be getting stronger every year. Um, he had that wobble a couple of years ago. Where he dropped out the 16. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's approaching his 40th birthday, but you'd say he's a better player now than he ever has been. So there's no reason why he, I think everyone would be surprised if he doesn't win another world title. And uh, there's no reason why he can't win more than one. Yeah, and I spoke to him actually just before the World Championship just gone, and he was saying, well, if my biggest problem is I haven't won more than one world title, that's a bit of a luxury worry. And yeah, it's a fair, <laughs> way, it's a fair way of saying it, but I also thought there was a bit of hoodwinking there. I think he, I think he really would like a, a, a second one to sort of cement that sort of brilliance of his career. But as you say, you know, it, it will probably come for him. It's a very, very difficult tournament to win. And, you know... It's hardly a bad substitute, is it, to win three UKs? Um, yeah. As I say, Phil, we could talk about the title, for, uh, the, the, the final forever and a day. But overall, I think we, it has to be said, it, it was a very enjoyable fortnight, wasn't it? I mean, not not just the way it ended, but we saw so many good stories. And, you know, I think it, it's backed up what I was kind of saying a bit on the first one is that, that you know, I'm not going to go into the triple grand debate now, but there's clearly something about the UK that does elevate it above the average event for me because I found that pretty compelling television over the last two weeks. Yeah, it was excellent. And I think I think this seems to be the way of it in the UK. There's sort of a good sprinkling of shocks throughout, quite big ones reasonably early, um, all the way through. But you get two you tend to get two brilliant players in the final. That's exactly what we've got this time. So it's yeah, it ticks every box really. There were some great matches, some great performances. Um, and as you say, it just sort of, it does, it does still have the feeling of a, a big tournament. You know, when players go out, it really it does mean something. Um, that final proved how much it meant more than anything, really. Um, but yeah, as you say, a great tournament all the way through. I thought D- definitely. I mean, go- going back to the sort of start of it, we had the TV coverage coming in early, and I thought 
it's only one theory that maybe the cameras arriving a bit earlier. I mean, cameras proper, proper TV coverage, um, mm-hmm. maybe contributed to the to the relative lack of shots. We we don't really have seen one of the top players go out in recent times in the first round. But I, I know you've made the point that it's really really hard for some of those, you know, players that are very low down the rankings. I mean, the high into nothing really. People like Leo Fernandez who played Ronnie, Paul Davison who played Trump. And it, perhaps it wasn't a surprise that they were, I mean, without being mean, they were. They came across a little bit more like exhibition matches, didn't they, some of those? Yeah, I mean, the strength of the tour now is as good as it has ever been, but some of these guys aren't even on tour. So, and, then they're, and they get the toughest draws you can possibly have. So, yeah, I mean, as you say, not without, without being unkind. You know, Ronnie O'Sullivan could play Leo Fernandez many, many times and never lose. Like, it's not really, not really competitive. Um, so yeah, and that that's the way of it. These guys right at the bottom do get drawn against the toughest uh, opponents. So um, yeah, any of those upsets were were never really going to happen. Um, and yeah, I think I think that's a possibility about the cameras being there early. Um, it gets the big names properly properly switched on from the start because um, yeah, as you say, there wasn't really one that stood out in round one as a as a big name falling. There was one or two we tipped. Simon Lichtenberg is someone to watch out for, and he had a very good win over Scott Donaldson. Um, so yeah, there was there was one or two. Uh, Ashley Carty beating Ali Carter as well, um, but these aren't these aren't like the mammoth shocks, but they're, they're notable ones. Bobby Williams beating Mark Davis was was a, mm-hmm. a decent victory. A word for Jimmy White as well, the evergreen Jimmy, hundredth match beating Alan McManus. I mean. He just goes on and on, doesn't he? You have to admire that, as we as we said many times. Two one four sevens as well. I'm going to say the lack of fans is an element there. Yes, they're nervous. Yes, it's still pressure, but not the same amount of pressure. Yeah, I agree. Um, everyone who's been asked about it says they're still shaking on the shots, and it still feels like it, but it can't, it can't be quite as nervy. It can't be quite as tense. I think in tiny little fractions will make a difference in that kind of situation. I think. It, it probably is just marginally easier, and that's all it needs to be. But then, of course, we got to the second round, and we had, you know, some quite big surprises, it's fair to say. I thought you made a very good point in the first episode, actually, that with Ronnie O'Sullivan, it won't be surprise, surprising if he wins it. It won't be surprising if he goes out early. And it was the latter. And, uh, well, you have to give credit to Urson Backer. He really uh, delivered the goods there on that Sunday afternoon. and and. You know, it's a funny thing. Ronnie, Ronnie, marvelously won that world title. Can't take it. Can't take it, it away from him. But going out of tournaments early is also something he does pretty regularly as well. Yeah, yeah, it's very it tends to be all or nothing, really. Um, fine, I'll go out early, which he said before. He, he'd, he'd rather go out early than scrap to losing the semis or the final. Um, it was a very strange performance from him. He he really didn't play very well at all, and. Um, he, was, he kept being very magnanimous in defeat and saying how well Urson Backup did play, but I don't think he, he wasn't, was that great, really. He did enough to beat him, but he had one break over 50, um, which you usually have to do a bit more than that to beat the Rocket. Um, yeah, so it was a strange one. Um, he, just, he just, as I said, as you mentioned just then, um, he, he can just turn them in every so often. Um, he, he wasn't offering any excuses, he didn't blame the table or anything. Um, just said didn't play very well, so yeah, strange one. But as you say, other than other than getting to the finals of the Northern Ireland Open um, and and winning the World Championship, which is no 
no side notes. Um, he has had a relatively quiet sort of 18 months or so. Um, so, yeah, it's not, it, it is a surprise, obviously, but I would have been more surprised if Trump or Robertson had gone out at that stage. Was that no side boat there, I heard? Side notes, I said. Oh, my fault. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> side notes sounds a bit more like it. Um, now, Phil, uh, if we talk... I follow on a football, I know you do as well, and you, you always hear, um, you know, the, the, he's a good football man. Well, if they said he was a good snooker man, David Grace would fall in that category, wouldn't he? Because, <laughs> yes, um, I think so. But what a win for him against Ding. And 5-3 down as well, so that's quite something. Yeah, that was great stuff, because he, he had that superb run um, to the UK, to the semi-final of the Northern Ireland Open the previous week. And um, that came reasonably out of nowhere. And um, then to comfortably win his first round at the UK. And I spoke to him after that, actually, before he played Ding. And he was saying, like, the pressure is off to an extent. He was just so happy to get that win in the first round, because... He got to the semi-finals in the UK back in 2015, which was, you know, out of nowhere as well and a brilliant achievement. And then he sort of went, he did go missing for ages and maybe had a bit more of a target on his back or he was expecting a bit more of himself. And he said he just barely won a match for quite some time after getting to semi. So um, following up that Northern Ireland Open success with at least one win was what he was really after. And then to beat Ding as well um, was superb. So, yeah, I mean, he'll have been disappointed to then not go past Xiao Guitong. But um, looking back, yeah, two good wins. I mean, I was about to say, uh, you know, betting makes mugs out of all of us. But not you, of course. You tip the tournament winner every time. But most of us. Um, but with <laughs> Ding's an unpredictable one, isn't he? Because last season he hardly did anything before when in the UK and then, and then won it. And then he didn't do much after it. But I did see a few people kind of tipping him. I think he maybe had a bit of a favourable draw. But again, you know, he, you know he'll, he'll obviously be disappointed. But probably not as disappointed as Mark Allen, who lost to Chang Bing Yu. Now, that was a story and a half. I mean, it didn't seem to get as much attention as I thought it would. But for someone that stormed to the Champion of Champions title, that was a real surprise at the second round stage. It was, yeah. I mean, it's considering how good he was in the Champion of Champions, he was absolutely superb. Um, Beating the top three players in the world, and he was, he was really giving it some fighting talk afterwards, saying, oh, this is what happens when I play well, and now you watch me go from here." And you know, he's barely won a match since then, so that was a big surprise. Um, a lot of people would have expected him to go deep. Um, again, he's just one of those players that sort of that is a big surprise, but he's got it in his locker, hasn't he? Um, he has. You, you how how come? How comfortable are you with sports people being born in August 2002, Phil? <laughs> <laughs> Probably slightly more comfortable than you are, but still fairly uncomfortable. <laughs> fair point, fair point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that, that was, as you say, yeah. I, I mean, I, I personally, um, you know, it might seem like a harsh assessment, but Mark Allen, I think, is often absolutely brilliant. I thought he'd push on a little bit more after winning that Masters. Again, he, I think he's got to a UK final since then. He does get deep in, you know, in, in a lot of the big ones. But I think I expect even more from him, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think everyone does. I think he's got, he's got the game to win tournaments and he's shown it. Um, but it's just, it's just frustrating inconsistency. I'll say he can beat Trump Robertson and O'Sullivan in, in one tournament and then barely win a match for the best part of a month. Um, 
he seems to just hit real, real deep purple patches. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the nature of the game. There's so many players like that. And that's what makes the very, very best players the very, very best because they are just slightly more consistent all the time. Yeah, no good way of putting it. I guess a couple of results that kind of say it all about modern snooker and the tour were, were Sean Murphy losing heavily to Elliot Slesser and then Elliot Slesser losing in, in turn the following round heavily to Lu Ning, who of course had such a good run. I mean, you know, that, that, that kind of says it all. And it, the, a big theme of the tournament, of course, was really strong performances from some of the Chinese players. Lu Ning, Zhu Yulong, or another player that you also tipped to do well, did really well. And uh, Pang Jung Su as well, who, who had a, a fabulous run in it, beating Tom Ford, Nopon Sankam and Stephen Maguire. I mean, uh, that was a hell of a win against Maguire. Yeah, that was um, uh, that was really really impressive. I know Maguire was getting very frustrated and he was very disappointed with himself, but um, took some doing from Pang. Um, he's only twenty. Um, he's one of these players that comes in off the CBSA tour and really do really don't know much about them when they when they come over. Um, but he's had a great start. Um, he got to the fourth round at the European Masters as well. Beat Barry Hawkins there, um, and. Yeah, that that is just very very tough first three games for Nopon and Maguire. Um, so yeah, he's a, he's a really properly exciting prospect. Uh, one match I, I I really enjoyed watching was was McGill and Robertson at the fourth round stage, and actually I thought that said a lot to me about the players who are the very very top and the ones that are just behind, still very very good. McGill mm. could have won that. It was four three up. I think he had a thirty or forty point lead. Had a sort of toughish red. A thin cut, missed it, you know, and Robertson never looked back. And I think those are the moments. You have to scent blood in those moments. And McGill didn't quite do that. But I loved, and the quote Robertson gave to me after that match, said it's so much about, about, about snooker, Phil. I was determined to say, to say this on <laughs> this episode. I, I, met, I heard on say on television that he wasn't going to watch Selby and Hawkins that night, his next opponent. I said, are you really not going to, Neil? I thought you, I thought you might want to you know, check in a bit on that. And he just said, nah, snooker is a really bad sport addictively. You think, I'm just going to watch one frame. All of a sudden, you're still watching two or three hours later. By the end, you think, I've done nothing with my night off. Now, in a way, that sounds <laughs> bad, but, but doesn't that say it all? You know, about the, and that's <laughs> one of the USPs of the game. It's, it's such a, an addictive. We mentioned it already about the final. But yeah, how often do we all do that? You know, uh, and you meant. I mean, you know, basically, we love the game so much. We don't. We don't think it's really, you know, a, a night off spent doing something we didn't want to do. We do like doing it, but yeah. what, what a telling line that wasn't it? Yeah, I guess. I guess because he he's really into the history of the game. He's in statistics as well. So if you're playing it all day, you're reading about it, looking into the sort of as I said, the statistical side of it, then you're spending your time off watching it. That really is a sort of 18, 20 hours of your day, isn't it? So I can see why he's trying to avoid it completely taking over his life. But yeah, no, I, it, he's right. One, you, it's very hard to turn off a game once you've started it. He, he, did, um, he did actually say he was going to play video games all night, I should say. So that was his alternative to, to, yeah. to the beautiful table game. Now, I know you, you watch more of the Robertson Selby than, than I did in the quarterfinal. I mean, I had a good friend of mine that watches a bit of snooker, not loads said that Robertson was basically almost unplayable. And that sounds like how it, how it was. He was just magnificent, wasn't he, in that, in that, in that match? Yeah, certainly the first half of it, um, Selby 
didn't have a shot the first three frames, I don't think. Um, uh, Robertson either made a half century or century in every, all, all six frames he won. And I think he I think he only scored four points in the two he did off. So he barely, barely missed a shot in the whole game, really. And Sel, Selby, Selby, it's one of those defeats where after, afterwards, it's, it's not hard to take at all because it's like, I didn't really do anything wrong at all. Um, and Robertson seems to have just got a bit of the Indian sign over Selby at the minute. It just keeps beating him in pretty big matches. Um, and they're two players you would, would generally say very evenly match, but he just got the edge on him. Yeah, no, it does seem that way. It's that's three this season now since, of course, it went the other way at the, at the Crucible. Mm-hmm. Judd Trump was amazing the first three games against the first three frames against Kyron Wilson. I watched that live that evening. That was, you know, a bit of a gripping contest in the end. Actually, it got close again. A uh, bit of a funny comment about Judd uh, that Judd made. Actually, that was in a a press conference that I sat in talking about flukes and saying that some players get more than others. I mean, I think they tend to balance themselves out, don't they, if we're honest? I mean, every, nearly every player that's ever played the game thinks they're hard done by, don't they? You just see that yeah. with the body language, but it's even Stevens, isn't it, with that? I think so. He, he made a point about Kyron hitting the ball harder than other people and stuff. I think, I, yeah, I, I think it balances itself out, definitely, and Judd gets his fair share. Um, they, they've just got a bit of a funny relationship, haven't they? I think they he just likes to have a dig at him. Um, it's, it's sort of gone up and down, isn't it? They 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 were quite open about having a bit of a dislike towards each other. Then that went away. This they were getting on. Um, I think I think they're fine now, but they're definitely not busy pals, are they? Um, <laughs> I've seen so, yeah, him think... a bit and asked him. I said, "You're your pals now, aren't you?" And he sort of laughed. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's a. It's a classic love-hate thing, isn't it, really? I, mm. I, I don't think there's real am- animosity there. But, um, yeah, they, they, there's probably not many players that one, the other, the one likes to beat the other more, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's really, I mean, they play each other a lot. But it's always an occasion when they do, because it's always, it always tends to be very competitive. And obviously, you would have Judd as the better player, considering what he's achieved. But um, Wilson gets more, of his, more than his fair share of victories. And it's a clash of styles. It's clearly a clash of personalities. Um, it's a really great rivalry. And it's the only one of that sort of age bracket. Um, obviously, Trump has his rivals with Robertson and Ronnie and that. But um, uh, Wilson and Trump could be the enduring one for quite some time to come. Yeah, let's hope so on that front. The, the other two last eight matches were Lu Ning beating Joe Perry and to you long beating Jack Lisowski. Now, those Lisowski comments are quite interesting, weren't they, about how he thinks he gets a hard time from, from critics. Most people that I've come across that are in the game, certainly those that write and talk about it, I had to say he sort of had a fair case there, didn't he? Um, but I guess, you know, we're not cheerleaders. We're, you know, we're, we're critics, really. And it probably born out of frustration because we know how utterly brilliant he can be. And it, maybe it's just that frustration sometimes with how... Sometimes he can fall short of that, or maybe more often than not. Yeah, I think it's just a, a style of play that is bound to be criticised unless he's winning tournaments, and he's, he's never won a tournament. So, it, especially the sort of old school player who um, will play the percentages, he, he's not that at all. And yeah, once you demonstrate you can bash in pots like he does, then. Um, it is, frustra- it is frustrating for some unlockers that, unlockers that he hasn't um, curbed that sometimes when it seems more sensible to do so. Um, but he makes the point that that's the way he plays and if he didn't play like that, he wouldn't be where he's in the game, which is in the top 16 and uh, an amazing player. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very fine 
balance to strike. Um, I, I tend to be more towards the, the critic side and, and he should do what his good pal Trump's done and, and eventually just sort of develop his game to an extent, curvy attacking ability and extent um, and look to, you know, become more of a complete player. But um, I'm sure he's trying to do that. I'm sure he wants to win games. So, um, yeah, I think it's all part of the territory, isn't it? Players get criticised. That's what pundits there. Yeah, and actually that reminds me of something else that I don't think I was going to mention, but it's, you know, these things come to your mind. Trump was talking in one of the packages, I think it was on the last night actually, about what's the ideal age to be a player. And I thought it was a lovely way of saying it from Judd. That he, he thought that, that the Judd Trump himself now would have beaten the Judd Trump of a decade ago, 6-1. Quite a nice way of summing mm. up, I think. You know, that, that's kind of, maybe Lazowski's not doing enough of that. I mean... The shots that Judd turns down now does surprise me sometimes. It's real maturity, you know, which he wasn't shown before. And that's maybe that, I mean, let's face it, we're talking about the best player in the world here. You know, I know he's just had a brutal defeat in this event, but, you know, he's still clearly the world number one. So, you know, we're comparing him with the best there, but that's the kind of development you ideally want a player to go on, isn't it? I think so. And I think you've got to evolve, haven't you? And it's, it almost seems like a bit of a cop-out to say, well, that's the way I play. Um, unless you're winning tournaments every other month, then maybe that shouldn't be the way you play. You know, that's the opposite argument. Um, and, and you're right, like, Trump is considerably better now than he was five years ago. Um, and there's some players you wouldn't necessarily say that about. And that should, that's an ongoing process. I mentioned about Robertson earlier, you know, he's pushing 40. Um, and he's still improving. He's getting better every year. And there's no reason why he can't continue to do so. So, um, yeah, I think... I think I think those sort of tropes that go in the media um, saying like Lasowski is a bit flaky or whatever, however you want to word it, um, once they're mentioned, then it can come up every time he loses, whether it necessarily is his fault or not. So that's why it can probably get a bit boring for him and can seem unfair. Um, but there's certainly basis to the criticism. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, and just taking it to, towards the sort of latter end, the semis were actually pretty routine, weren't they? We had an absolutely sensational Sunday, which we've already talked about, but it wasn't a really a super Saturday, though, I have to say. It, it, it was kind of the final we all expected, and it was like even the players kind of expected that a little bit. There were two fairly routine semis, but of course the two Chinese players we've mentioned did brilliantly to get to the semis. What confidence they'll take from that. I mean, Zhu Yu Long, a first triple crown semi, that... That's just invaluable. You know, he's reached finals before, but this is a, a different sort of step up for him, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that those who need a lot of credit, um, as you say, Yu Long, we mentioned him before the tournament. He's really one of the coming men. Um, I think he'll be in the top 16 by the end of the season. He, he may even be by the end of the year. Um, he knocked in a 147 this morning in the Scottish Open. Um, he looks superb, yeah, and he's only 22, but he's got so much experience already. Um, he's a real threat, um, really well-rounded game. Um, but he has actually got quite a lot of credit for his semi-final run. So Lu Ning really wasn't spoken about. He's a player that isn't spoken about very much, really. He sort of he popped onto the tour in 2014 and dropped off. He came back in 2018. He's actually been very, very solid since then. Had a really good couple of years. Um, this is his second ranking semi as well, but the first, like, a, a big one. I think the first one was in um, Gibraltar. Um, but, yeah, really good run. Um, and I think that's put him to number 32, um, which is highest ever ranking. So 
um, very well done to him. No, exactly, and and, it, and, it, and and they deserve a lot of credit. And Chinese players kind of had a rec- recent history of going quite deep at the UK. But I think it's what we said first, and I think you may have mentioned it earlier. We're kind of blessed to have nine, ten, eleven, maybe even a dozen of those very, very top players that it's never a surprise to see them reach finals. And it, it's particularly true at the UK. It doesn't seem to matter how many surprises or shocks you come come along, you know, during the tournament. You still end up with that heavyweight final. It's not even a hindsight thing. Even in the last sixteen, I think there's only like four or five left. But I, I think we, we all sort of thought there's still going to be a heavyweight final, and that seems to be the way it works out of the UK in particular. Yeah, definitely more so. Yeah, we said this on the first episode. I think more so than the World Championships. Um, it's hard to explain, really, because you would think those shorter format matches might lend itself to that. But I think it's really good. It's a really nice part of the tournament. It adds to this, um, how special it is that it seems to be guaranteed two really top players in the final and always a really top player winning it. I mean, I've, I've kind of looked at the best of 11 a little bit differently this tournament. Uh, I think it's just about long enough to to kind of kind of see the best player usually get through. I mean, even Graham, Graham Dot, who, who I think it was my Arthur Stuart Bingham match, it was a press conference I was sitting in on, on Zoom, and he was saying, you know, he's never like best of seven, just can't deal with him. We all know he loves the marathon game. That's why he's won World Championship and billing three finals at the Crucible. But he was saying, yeah, best of 11 is the minimum it can be, but he, he still regards that as a proper snooker game. And the way he said it, you know, you can have narratives, things change around, you have an interval you know, the one that I mentioned where Trump was swinging up against Wilson, it looked like it could be 6-0. And then next minute, it's four, you know, an hour or so later, it's 4-3, four, 4-all. And it, yeah, I mean, look, we, again, listen, if people like me and you are in charge, Phil, we'll have probably best of 140 and they play for like three <laughs> weeks. But, but, you know, there's a balance to be struck. And I think best of 11 is, you know, yes, we'd like the old days of best of 17 semis, ideally. But, you know, they're, I think they're just about long enough. That, that, I suppose to conclude on this point, you really notice the difference between best, best of seven. It's only four more frames, but there's a marked difference, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've heard players refer to these as proper games and long games. Um, some people wouldn't call them that, but um, some, some players have. Um, and yeah, you're right. There's, you can lose a couple of frames and you don't feel like it's game over, like it happens in the best of seven. And, you know, some some best of sevens, you could barely get a shot if someone turns out on fire and you're a bit cold. Um, so, yeah, there's narrative. Um, it can swing um, one way and then the other. And I think, you know, we just got to accept them. I know Barry Hearn's commented, them on, uh, commented on them a couple of times this tournament. Um, TV loves it. You can get the, get the match all into one um, session of television. Um and that that's what that's why that it's like this, and uh, and then that's the reason it's going to stay. I kind of can't see it ever changing. Yeah, a word about the, the broadcasters. Obviously, BBC and Eurosport. You made an excellent point, which a lot of people did actually refer to, about how an awful lot of people, you know, wouldn't have seen any snooker since the Crucible until this event. And actually, I'll go further than that. I suspect a lot of people never watched an actual match since the Ronnie Tyron world final and the next match I would have watched would have been Sunday night's match. We, that's been borne out by the viewing figures. I said a peak of nearly 2 million. I mean, that's, that's spectacular numbers really. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it just shows how important it is. So, you know, the BBC is, is vital for the sport in, in many ways, but it has to be said, you know, f- for the week in, week out snooker fan, Eurosport's the best service, isn't it? I mean, it's clear that their their voices, their commentators, their pundits follow the game more. Eurosport cover every event, of course they do. And, and that comes through, doesn't it? That comes through in, in what we're watching on the screen. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I would say that 99% of the BBC audience don't don't notice it like the 1% of us guys do. You know, there's only the odd comment here and there that, yeah, will rile up the proper hardcore snooker fans. But, yeah, the vast majority don't notice that. But it is true. And, I mean, yeah, as you say, that's a natural occurrence of one broadcaster showing almost every tournament and one showing three. Um, their, their pundits obviously know what they're talking about. Um, the former world champions, but that they obviously won't have seen some of the lower ranked players um, like other under other pundits have on other broadcasters. And it, it was slightly odd once, twice uh, when they sort of admitted that on TV that they knew very little about a pundit. And now, you know, as journalists, we have to sort of <laughs> fake it till we make it sometimes. Um, and if I didn't know what I was talking about, I wouldn't say I wouldn't announce it on television. I think I would just pretend that I did. Um, so it was a little bit strange. Um, but as you say, um, it's, it's, it's crucial that they cover those tournaments just for the audience figures. And I said, as I said right at the start when we were talking about the final, I was getting texts off people who never watched the snooker up watching it at midnight. So, um, yeah, we don't want to be too critical of the BBC at all. At six hours of live action on, on a winter Sunday night. I mean, I was just trying to think in my head about the what the sports that that would kill for that and actually I gave up because it was almost every sport really certainly something like cricket for example I know cricket's been back on free to air TV this year and, and even internationals they had a couple of the certainly even Australia game maybe even two mm-hmm. again four or five hours on a Sunday afternoon that's brilliant but this is six hours on a Sunday night in winter you know when everyone's at home watching television I mean what what rugby league would give us something like that athletics you know you know athletics gets a fair bit actually but but this is still an awful lot uh, of of attention for snooker we we shouldn't take that for granted and I think some people maybe do do at times and it's something we should we should remember I think when we're sort of analyzing the way television covers the game is that this is a, a proper window into this into our into our game that we love isn't it yeah absolutely and and it all it's all back to this audience point you know um People who watch, as you say, might only watch the UK Championship, might only watch the final, and they'll, they'll watch snooker every three or four months. They they want to see recognisable faces. They want to see the guys who used to be the captains on Question of Sport, and they think it's all over. Um, they don't necessarily want to hear Dominic Dale talking about the history of cues and stuff like that. Whereas we will happily watch both. Um, but uh, and I'm certainly not criticising Dominic Dale. I love that stuff. But there's a lot of people who aren't that interested and uh, they just want to see the faces that they know. Um, so, yeah, uh, and it, it is superb, as you say. There was such a fuss about those England cricket games on BBC over the summer and it was great. And, yeah, we're treated to that with snooker three times a year. Yeah, another thing that reminds me to say as well, I, I cover a lot of racing and ITV racing, it reminds me a little bit of that in that, the Beeb do have a job to do because it's not just about appealing to those people that like an ITV. It's not just about the racing people that know the sport inside out. 
they're going to appeal to the occasional viewer as well, not patronise the, the ones that love it, but not, you know, blind, blind the new ones with science. It's a tough balancing act, you know, as well. And that, that's got to be taken into account, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we'll have found that with just writing. It's very I find myself when I write about the World Championships, trying to be a bit broader than when I'm writing about the first stages of the Gibraltar Open, because I know who's going to be reading those pieces. And I think a few more less ardent snooker fans will read the World Championship one. So, yeah, it's tricky. Um, and in general, they do a great job. As I say, it's, it's the odd comment that sneaks through and just raises the heckles on super hardcore fans. But, you know, it's not a massive problem. And in general, they're very good. And of course, Phil, we, we move on. I mean, this is a, the, the road show that never ends at the moment, Snooker, isn't it? You, you've alluded to action today, a one four seven already at the Scottish Open. That's underway. A few delays today due to delayed COVID results, which hasn't been perhaps the ideal start. But of course, you, talk, you talked about side notes, not side boats, after my little <laughs> earlier. Um, players battling to make the World Grand Prix, which of course is now much earlier uh, because of the, the nature of a different season that we're having. And certain players, have, uh, Stephen Maguire's already missed out. And there are two or three other big names that are, that are in danger of doing so as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I feel, because the Grand Prix is a bit earlier this year, there seems to be more big names in danger of missing out. I think maybe on normal seasons, they've got a bit of time to have a couple of dodgy early results and then make it back. Um, but they haven't had, they've not been afforded that time this year. So as you say, Maguire was out first round um, this morning. We're, we're talking on Monday, so Monday morning. Uh, Dave Gilbert as well, he won't be there. He's had a ropey start to the season. Um, Mark Williams, Mark Allen, they both need results because um, obviously Mark Allen's champion champion success is not non-ranking. Um, so he's quite far down the, the, the one-year list, which is um, it's the top 32 on the one-year list that get to the Grand Prix. So, yeah, it's a really, it's a really important tournament because... It's quite high prize money in the Grand Prix. Um, the two in the, the, the follow that in the series, the Tour, Tour Championship, the Players Championship. Um, the, the Players Championship top 16, then Tour Championship eight. So if you don't get into the first one, it's all, all the more difficult to get into the second one. So yeah, it's a it's an important week. It's sort of come a bit after Lord's Mayor's show, maybe after the UK champs, but um, a lot on the line for a lot of players. Yeah, and it's an elite, elite event. It's one of the ITB events. And we, we come to enjoy those an awful lot, frankly, isn't there? Because we know that every match is a, is a top quality one. And, you know, it's a, it's a tournament. All those, really, the, the, the 32, the 16, the 8, they've all in their own way delivered in the last two or three seasons, haven't they? Yeah, there have been some great moments in those tournaments. Um, Ronnie making thousand thousandth century in some great finals. Um, I think just the way, because it's done on the one-year list rather than the main rankings, you just get more interesting ties and people are, people are seeded all differently. Um, I mean, that is quite a niche thing to be interested in, but I find that that makes the tournaments a little bit more interesting. Yeah, definitely. And, and of course, just to look a bit further ahead, uh, Phil, we, we've got an event that never needs much selling, the Masters. Uh, I wouldn't always read out the whole draw, but it obviously it's not a particularly long one. So if you missed it, these are the games that came out. It's John Higgins against Mark Allen, Stuart Bingham against Tetrio Anu, Ronnie O'Sullivan against Ding Jun Wee, Kyron Wilson against Jack Lesowski, Sean Murphy against Mark Williams, Neil Robertson v. Yan Bing Tao, Judd Trump v. David Gilbert, 
and Mark Selby v Stephen Maguire. Can I be the first one to say in this Masters coming up, Phil, that every match could be a final? I want to be the first <laughs> to say it, officially. Absolutely. <laughs> the cracking draw, isn't it? It does, it, it does always seem to come as a shock how good all the games are, but you, know, yeah. you can't really fail. It doesn't matter what order they come out in. It's always going to be good. Um, but yeah, there's some really great, great ties. You know, Sullivan Digg in the first round of the tournament is superb. It's funny looking at the names. There's, they're all great players, obviously, and it's superb, but there's quite a few of them not in the best of form. Um, so a few of them will, will want to pick up a bit of momentum in the, in the first two t- tournaments, the last two tournaments in December to get going ahead of that but yeah um i think it's the same same names that you'd expect to do well there although the masters have proved a bit that you can unlike the uk you can expect a, a surprise finalist sometime we are going to be alexandra palace god willing and we are going to have fans now let's face it all of us that uh that are living through this pretty awful year, know that things can change very quickly. But at the moment, we're expecting fans. It could be as many as a thousand a session. And from a bit, a couple of bits of news I've been hearing today, they're selling pretty well the tickets. So let's face it, it's a few weeks away still, but uh, it will be great to have the punters back, won't it? Definitely. And I think if it was, if they're coming back anywhere, that that's the ideal place to return. I think it's just, it's become such a great venue. Um, they they really nailed the setup last year. It was really cool. Um, they really ticked all the boxes. So yeah, um, hopefully, fingers crossed, it will be good to go then. Um, and yeah, that as I say, that's the perfect one. And if it can slowly build up to something like a world normal world championship from there on in, then uh, that'd be a nice first six months of next year. Our cup will run us over, won't it? No tournaments <laughs> in China was another bit of confirmation that came through. Uh, n- not a great surprise, big shame, because it's such a, a special part of the season when the players go to China. A new Pro Series event will kind of plug the gaps uh, uh, as best as as everyone in snooker can as, as, we, as we go into 2021. But as you say, there's so much great snooker to look forward to. And, you know, I guess the UK Championship has set the benchmark for those really big events now, you know. And, and if you think about it, actually, Phil, if you think about the two what the two world semis we had, and now this final, I mean, snooker's doing its level best in this COVID era to give us some special moments, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And they've done a fantastic job to keep everything going. It's so easy to, to complain about things. You know, it's all in the same arena. You know, it's not the same without fans. Blah blah blah. Of course, it's not. Um, we know it's not. It's never going to be quite as good. But it's still been very good. You know, I think it's been as good as anyone could have hoped for, for fans, for the players. Um, so, yeah, as you say, some incredibly memorable matches. No one's going to think about those World Championship semi-finals and be like, and think, oh, it's a shame fans weren't there. Of course it's a shame, but the, the matches were incredible on their own. And that final last night, exactly the same. Yeah, so, I mean- also, my um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, the new, you mentioned the new Pro Series event. Um, again, it doesn't seem like the ideal format. Um, it's plugging a gap in the calendar, as you say. Um, would would we pick those events? So that event over the normal Chinese events, of course, we wouldn't. But um, it's snooker on TV, and that's good news. Yeah, no, quite. And actually, you were very wise judges over the years when I've uh, been at very special events or you know just seen very special events on television. They'll say actually hold fire a bit. 
let's wait, let's wait a year or two. I think we did that actually for the, the recent Williams Higgins Crucible final, which I tend to think was probably the, the greatest Crucible final of them all. But I, I ripped up that script last night. I said, no, that's instantly part of folklore, that final. To go till 1am, that's instantly part of folklore. For a frame to go, the last frame to be as long as that, the sheer tension of it, I could hardly move during that last frame. So for me, that's, that's, that's already something very special that we'll, oh, we'll talk about in 5, 10, 20 years' time as being special, won't we? Yeah, I agree completely. That, that one will be remembered. Um, and while like we, we spoke about earlier, did the lack of fans have an impact on it? Maybe it did, but... Um, yeah, when we when we look back on that game, we'll remember it being a great game, very tense. It's, it's a strange one to talk about a great game because the players will admit themselves neither of them were anywhere near their best for most of it, but it was still a great contest, that's the thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree completely. That That's a very, very memorable final. And I don't think that's recency bias just saying that. We will be thinking that in a few years' time. Shall we, um, shall we wrap it up then? Shall we say goodbye? I, I think... Yes, sir. I think we, so. We've been going. We've been going a fair while now, I reckon. We've we, we perhaps spoken enough. We will return before Christmas, mark our words, when we will review the snooker year. Every other show's doing a review of the year, Phil. Why should talking snooker be any different? And, uh, yeah, well, absolutely. Let's tell the party line on that one. <laughs> but we really look forward to doing that. So we'll be with you uh, after the, the World Grand Prix. So to talk about the next couple of events and generally to talk about what a memorable year we've had for so many reasons on and off the table. But we've really enjoyed reviewing the UK Championship and bringing you up to date a little bit with all the events that have been happening in the world of snooker. Keep enjoying the game we all love. And as I say, thanks very much indeed for the kind words you said about episode one. Hope you enjoyed episode two. Thank you very much indeed for your company. From you, Phil. Yes, thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, we're doing this for our own enjoyment, but also for your enjoyment. So uh, thanks, thanks for getting on board and we'll speak to you soon. Indeed, and also from me as well. Thanks very much for your company and cheerio for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.